While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know where for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Okay. How many of y'all can relate to that video? You have been in that space. You're actually like, how did you get a camera of my bedroom? And how did you know that? Okay, I I self-disclosed, we started this series last week that I have never been a really good sleeper, that I've always kind of struggled to sleep at night. And, And as I was thinking about this, I remembered as a kid that I would often go, when I got scared at night, when I couldn't sleep, I would often go and sleep in my parents' bedroom. Anybody else do that? You would go sleep in your parents' bedroom? Come on, y'all are being, don't leave me hanging up here by myself. Yeah, yeah. I I would go sleep in my parents' bedroom. And there was, I remember this point at which my parents were like drawing the line. Like, you can't do this anymore. You know, when I was about 17. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. I I was like seven. Come on, y'all. And my mom and dad were like, you cannot come. You cannot sleep in our bed anymore. I would steal the covers, you know, kick them, keep them up at night. And so they said, you cannot come in our room anymore because you disturb our sleep. So being the smart seven-year-old that I was, I was like, there's a loophole. So I would get my blankets and my pillow when I got scared at night, and I would go and make a bed on the floor next to theirs. I was like, I'm not in their bed, so they can't kick me out, but I'm technically still with mom and dad. So it was like, it was good. Um, that, that's how scared I would get at night. And I was, when I was reflecting on this the other day, I, I asked myself, what did you get so scared of? Because, you know, I was scared of the dark. Like most kids, you start off, that's where your fear begins. But my parents got me, you know, all the night lights. I'm pretty sure most nights I slept with like all the lights in my room on. So it wasn't the dark. That problem was solved. But I would still go in the room because I was afraid at night. Then it dawned on me this week. Think about the stories we tell children about what happens at night. Take a look at this. Uh, Santa, okay, anybody? A man comes down your chimney, gives you gifts, and he knows if you're good or you're bad. You're like, okay, that's suspect, but I get gifts. You got this chick, she comes in while you're sleeping at night too. She also leaves money so or things, so that's good. But we've basically given our kids these stories of breaking and entering at night. So go to sleep, be quiet, but people will come in while you sleep. Okay, don't worry about it. Or or think about Christmas. This was always my favorite. This is probably what made me sleep in my parents' room. The Muppets Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens classic, you know, about Scrooge. But what do you have? You've got even the ghost puppets coming at night to get you. And, you know, that, that's kind of a silly pondering, but there really was this fear as a kid that in the night, something was out to get me, that something was going to come and get me in the night, that I wasn't safe unless I was with my parents. 
And you know, I, I babysat my seven-year-old niece last week while her parents were um, out at a wedding and she too was struggling with sleeping. And I mean, I, we had water, we had an extra bathroom break, we read an extra story, we, I mean, we put on an extra nightlight and still she would get out of her bed. And you know, I'm the aunt, not the parent. So, you know, aunts are different. I was like, if the kid wants espresso before bed, she's got it. So I'm like indulging every single thing, but then I'm, I'm realizing, okay, she's got to go to bed. Her parents are going to kill me. We can't watch TV all night. So I said, you know what? You should go sleep in your parents' room. <laughs> so when they got home surprised, their daughter was in their bed, but she too had this like sense that something was out to get her. Now, you and I, we're, we may not have those same worries at night. We may not go into our room at night thinking something is going to come beyond that locked door, some boogeyman of sorts, some, uh, some ghost come to get us or monsters in the closet. But I think each one of us can relate to that feeling that when we lie awake at night, we are almost haunted by, by something in our life. Maybe you've laid awake at night and you have worried about that conversation that you had 20 minutes ago, or maybe take it even further, maybe 20 years ago, and you are still rehashing, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Or you lie in bed at night and you're like, I, I can't believe I made that mistake. What if that messes up my entire career or everything that I have worked towards? Why did I do that? Or you replay that relationship that went awry and you think, why? What could I have done? Could I have done anything? What could they have done? You replay what you said to your kids, what you said to your spouse, to your partner, to your coworkers, to your friends. And we end up in the middle of the night Maybe not afraid of the boogeyman, but haunted by ghosts from our past. See, we're continuing this series, Insomnia. And throughout the entire series, we're asking ourselves what keeps us up at night. Because you and I were created and wired to sleep at night. That is God's gift to us is sleep and rest. But so many of us are plagued with an inability to sleep. We toss and we turn. In fact, last week I shared that over 50% of all Americans say they do not get a good night's rest. Over 50% of people don't sleep well at night. And I would venture to say, and the premise of this series is that for many of us, though there are diagnoses like insomnia, you can be diagnosed with an inability to sleep, a physical or biological condition that keeps you from sleeping. Many of us don't find ourselves there. And some of us, you have small kids, and so sleeping is just out of the picture because, well, your kid doesn't sleep, so you don't sleep. But that's not the majority of us that can't sleep at night. For most of us, we lay in bed at night and the demons of worry and anxiety and fear plague us. And last week we talked about that for a lot of us, that worry and that fear is centered around our future. What's gonna happen tomorrow? 
Where are my kids going to go to college? Am I going to get that promotion? Am I going to be okay during an economic recession? What happens if this? What if? What if? What if? And we rehearse a future that hasn't played out yet. But because we're worried and we fear what could be, we construct a reality that impacts, that's completely fictional, but that impacts our reality the next day. And so we have to go to God to face our fear. But today, in the next few minutes, I want to look at what do you do if you're on the other side of that? Maybe it's not your future, you're laying there worried about, but it's your past. Something that happened to you that you just replay again and again and again in your mind. Maybe that you've replayed so much in your mind, it has built into you and you have internalized the shame around somebody else's actions toward you. Or maybe it's that regret and that guilt for something you did. And even though maybe that relationship was mended, someone forgave you, you can't stop feeling guilty over it. Or maybe the cards you were dealt in life have left you bitter. And you replay again and again And you go down that rabbit hole of, if I did this, if I said this, what if, what if, what if? Most of us, when we're rehashing our past and plagued and haunted by the ghosts of our past, these are some of the things that come up for us. And so as we go through them today, the question I want you to ask yourself and that we're asking throughout this whole series is what keeps you up at night? And if it's your past, let me just tell you from the get-go, there is good news. God has given us a way. God has given us the ability to move beyond the things we have done and the things that have been done to us to experience life so that the past does not rob us. Because friends, if we do not let our past die, our past will not let us live. So if you're rehashing the past, some of the things that might be keeping you up, and I want to go through these is blame. And blame is simply this. It's redirecting personal responsibility for your own actions to somebody else or something else that's happened. You get into that blame game. They did this. They're the reason I'm in this situation. It was because of that. For some of us, it's on the other side of that. It's shame. And a good friend of mine says, shame is this. It's self-hatred at my expense. It is me internalizing bad things maybe that others have said or bad things that I have done so much so that I, that I am hating myself, that I am losing out because I have believed a limiting belief about myself. Then there's unprocessed grief. For some of us, it is a grief, a loss in our lives, a deep sorrow for a loss that changes the present. And friends, we experience grief in all sorts of ways, big losses and small losses and all loss, it, it, it needs to be processed. But some of us, we, we can get to a point where it's so hard to process it. It hurts so much that we try to deny it in the day and then it haunts us in the night. And so we lay there haunted by our own loss and grief that we just can't deal with. For some of us, like I said earlier, it's bitterness that grudge that has a hold on your heart. 
And often when we get into that space of bitterness, we actually think we're directing something at somebody else that maybe is holding them hostage and keeping them at bay. But bitterness and unforgiveness actually is holding us hostage and living our life because it holds us. And then finally, guilt. And I think this is a big one for all of us, for many of us, is regret from past mistakes, replaying what we've done in the past. And so I wanna look at a story real quick in the next few minutes, because there is this amazing story in scripture about a man who is awake at night, rehashing and literally wrestling with his past. And it's an incredible story that plays out, I think for you and I, this same dynamic that we face all of the time. And it's this man named Jacob. And maybe you've heard this story, but Jacob is awake at night. And we learn in Genesis 32 that Jacob wrestles with God. But let me give you a little background on Jacob. Now, Jacob is quite the figure in the, in the Jewish tradition out of which the Christianity and Christian tradition has come out of. He's one of the Jewish patriarchs. So uh, the patriarchs meaning he is one of the leaders of the Jewish faith, but he has a checkered past. If you read Jacob's story and it starts in scripture from the time he was born, and literally from the time he is born, his parents name him Jacob, which means schemer, because he is one of, of two twins, and he literally comes out of the womb, grabbing onto his older brother's heel. Like, this is the feistiness of Jacob. Like, even from the womb and from birth, he is like yanking his brother back. And, and that dynamic plays out in Jacob's life all, all throughout his history. In fact, what we learn early on about Jacob is that in his um, young adulthood, he ends up because he is such a schemer, such a trickster, and because he wants God's blessing so much so for himself and he will do anything to get it, he steals from his brother, his brother's birthright as a firstborn son, because his brother came out before him, which means he steals from his brother the line of succession in his family. So what was supposed to go to his brother upon his father's passing, the company he's built, the land, the wealth, all of that inheritance that would go to an older sibling has now been taken and stolen by this younger brother. You thought HBO came up with succession. Uh-uh. It was in Genesis before then, okay? There's a whole succession scenario playing out here. And then, Jacob, if that is not bad enough, on his father's deathbed, when typically Jewish fathers would transfer a spiritual blessing and birthright to their kids, a sort of blessing of multiplication for their families and wealth, that's supposed to go to his older brother, Jacob steals that too. So he's taken all of his brother's blessing and birthright. And so in his early 20s, he finds himself on the run because his brother is infuriated. Out from under him, he has stolen all of his brother's future. So he leaves his homeland, basically exiles himself and finds himself living far away from home for the next 20 years of his life, 
to escape the wrath of his brother. But on this night that we're gonna read in just a minute where he is on the eve of reconciling with his brother. After 20 years of running from his past mistakes and what he's done and his brother's wrath, he is about to meet his brother. He has felt God call him home. God tells him in the previous chapter, he says, Jacob, it is time for you to go home. It is time for you to be reconciled with your family, but do not worry because I will be with you. My blessing will continue to be upon you. I am going with you. It's actually the first time in all of scripture that we hear God say to a person, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And God says it to Jacob. So Jacob is here, he follows God, and this is what happens. The night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his female servants and his son, and crossed the ford. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob has traveled from a far land, you know, to go home with all of his household and his many possessions that he has gained at this point. And on this night before he's gonna meet his brother, be in that city upon arrival, he sends his wives and the final bit of his possessions across the river. And he does this out of fear because he still thinks his brother is out to get him. And so should his brother meet him in the morning with wrath, he will have at least sent his most prized possessions out of reach from his brother and they can escape. And then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled. Now the NIV makes this real clean and tight. It makes it sound like this person just like touched his hip and it like messed him up. Really the like Hebrew there is he like socked him, punched him um, in the groin, okay? So that's actually what's happening here, okay? And you thought the, like, the Bible was boring. Nope. So Jacob's wrestling with this man. We're not even told who this man is because we get the sense that Jacob doesn't even know who this man is, but he's wrestling with him. He is so overcome by his past and what he fears will happen because of it, even though God has promised to bless him, that he is wrestling this man because he thinks, he thinks, that it might even be his brother or it has something to do with his past. And he wrestles with him until this person socks him and, and kind of takes him out of the fight. Then the man said this, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And then he blessed him there. The sun rose above him and as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. So Jacob wrestles with this man. What he realizes at some point we don't know in wrestling with him is, oh, this is not any man. I'm sitting here wrestling with God. In fact, your subtitles in your Bible, if you're following along in your Bible, will actually say Jacob wrestles with God. 
But you know what is so fascinating to me about this? Jacob, in continuing to be so overwhelmed with his past, does what you and I do when we consistently lie awake rehashing our past. We project onto God our fear of what others think about us, our feelings of ourself. If we don't like ourselves, if we feel bad about ourselves, then we think God must also feel that way about us. Esau is so convinced that because of who he has been and what he has done, Esau must still hate him. And so he literally wrestles with God as if God is Esau, as if God is one of these ghosts from his past coming to get him. And friends, don't you and I do the same? We are so consumed with our guilt, with our shame, with bitterness, with regret that we think that's all that God can see when God looks at us. But what, what does God do in this moment? What does God tell him when he says, bless me, bless me? What God should have done is like, dude, I already blessed you. Did you not read chapter before this? God has said, I'm blessing you. I am with you. I have forgiven you your past. Now go and live the life I have called you to. Go home, Jacob. But he can't. He's so convinced that he's not really forgiven. That surely God cannot love me knowing what I've done. Surely God cannot have truly forgiven me. That still I must pay for some of it. And so he wrestles with God and he's, he begs, God, bless me, bless me, bless me, help me, help me, help me. And God's like, you're wrestling with me for something I have already given you. That's where we find ourselves. When we lie awake at night, rehashing our past, we are wrestling with God over a forgiveness God has already granted us. We are worried that surely forgiven doesn't truly mean forgiven. Surely there's a clause in that. Surely God's gonna let this hang over our heads and remind us of it every day. And God says, no, I've already blessed you. And so God changes Jacob's name. And I love it. It's as if he says, let me, let me help you here, Jacob. I've already given you blessing. I've already forgiven you. I have already put your past in the past. But let me, so you never forget, I'm gonna give you a new identity. I'm gonna give you a new name. You will not even bear the same name so that every day, you wake up and you know, I am not who I was. I am who God's grace has made me to be. Friends, just like Jacob, God has forgiven us. Sometimes we are wrestling, God, please forgive me, please help me, please bless me. And God's saying, I've already done it. The apostle Paul, he writes it like this. He says, to the early church who was struggling with the same thing. Surely God has not forgiven us. Surely we're not okay with God. The apostle Paul says this, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, or some translations say they are a new creation and the old has gone, the past is over and the new is here. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. Friends, God has defined your life, not by what you have done in the past, but by what Jesus has done on the cross. And when Jesus said on the cross that it is finished, that you are forgiven, it wasn't a half forgiveness. It wasn't conditional. It was, it is finished. It is done. And that's what God's grace is. God's grace doesn't give us what we deserve. God's grace gives us what we need. God's grace, like we sang earlier, it literally changes our story and rebirths in us a new identity, a new creation. And the thing God has given us to remember that, because like Jacob, we are so prone to forget We are so prone to look in the mirror and see the person from yesterday instead of seeing what God has done and who God's calling us to be, that God gave us this simple act that we're about to participate together in, and that's communion. On Jesus' final night with his disciples, before he's about to give up his life for them, He has already at this point in his life in ministry proclaimed what it means to follow God, what it means to be new in Christ. But Jesus is willing to do whatever it takes, even to the point of death on a cross, to drive home the point to you and I that there is nothing in this world. There is no power, there is no principality, there is no past in this world that can separate us from the goodness and the grace of God. He will do whatever it takes to the point of the cross. And he sits with his disciples and he he knows what God knew with Jacob what the apostle Paul knew with the early church, what you and I know when we lie in bed at night is that we will forget, we will forget that God has saved even a wretch like us and given us a shot at a new hope and a new future. And so he tells them, every time that you gather together, do so in my name and take bread and take juice and remember the sacrifice the great price I was willing to pay so that you could be forgiven and that it would never, ever be revoked. Friends, if we do not let our past die, it will not let us live. And the way God's given us to do that is to come to this table and lay our baggage aside and claim the new life that God has offered us given to us in his very own presence and sacrifice for us. And I love, I love this idea of that we don't go to communion because we are good. Some of us maybe grew up in traditions where you had to not take this meal, the Lord's Supper, unless you were cleaned up and good. But no, no, that's not what Jesus says. He says, come to this table every time you need to remember what I have done for you. It's in this act that we become good, that we become who God's calling us to be. And St. Therese says it like this, receive communion often because there you have the sole remedy if you want to be cured. If you want to remember you have a new identity in Christ, come partake. So we're gonna take communion today. Remember that final night Jesus had, remember the hope that God's calling us to. 
And one thing that in a lot of churches we say and we do in taking communion is there's a point at which we confess. We confess. And so I wanna say these words on all of our behalf. So I want you to hear them as your own and even hear them of the word, as the words that you would want to hear from those who have harmed you. And that is this, that God, we confess that we have not loved you with all of our hearts, that we have failed to be your people. We have failed to walk in the newness of life you made possible. And in doing so, we have, we have added to the brokenness of the world around us. Because of that, God, we confess that others acting out of their brokenness have hurt us and left us wounded. And we confess that though we are forgiven, though we are called to be your people, we struggle to see it and to embrace it for ourselves. So today we come and pray, God, would you forgive us and free us for joyful obedience through Christ in Jesus' name. And then friends, hear these words. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.